And now, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and that you would breathe life into your word to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as, as I say, though, it is Christmas Eve today. Uh, we're also gathered here this morning to recognize that it's also the fourth Sunday of Advent and that there are still preparations to be made before we gather again this evening to celebrate the birth of our Lord at our Christmas Eve service at 5 p.m. Five, not seven. And on this fourth Sunday of Advent, we have now come to the end of our Advent season. For me, uh, the season of Advent has been busy, as I'm sure it's been for many of you. It has been a season of a lot of preparation and planning, as it always is. But I have done my best to follow the suggestion that I made at our Advent candlelight service. I've also been intentional about the intention of Advent, about not letting the busyness get in the way of allowing space to keep the main thing the main thing. So I've still been able to maintain time with Jesus. I've also been able to reserve time to spend with family and friends. And part of this included watching both my kids in their Christmas productions at school. A couple of weeks ago, I was sharing how Esther and her class presented a short play about peace and how at one point Esther was supposed to read uh, a passage from scripture, but the Bible never made it onto the stage. So she was left having to improvise a short homily on what it means that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Last Tuesday was Adeline's turn. Uh, she and her class were part of the elementary school Christmas musical, and Adeline was one of the three grade ones chosen to read a short passage from scripture. Thankfully. <laughs> uh, this time everything went according to plan, and our little six-year-old wasn't left having to improvise the apocalyptic prophecy from the book of Daniel. The scripture that Adeline read was, uh, we heard it in our gospel reading this morning, when the angel Gabriel shared God's plan for his people and how it would be a fulfillment of this prophecy from the book of Daniel, that Mary would have a son. And the angel said to her, he will be great, and he will be called the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. As we've been lighting candles each week of the Advent season, as we've been waiting to celebrate Christmas, we've been reminded each week that God's people waited for their Savior for a really long time, the entire span of the Old Testament. We first heard about the patriarchs and how God gave humanity hope through the promise he made to Abraham and his descendants. We then heard about the prophets who brought peace and assurance when they foretold that the Savior, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace would come to fulfill this promise. And the prophets also reassured God's people that God would keep his promise as they continued to wait. But last week... We heard about John the Baptist 
and the joy of the message he brought, that the wait was finally over. The Savior was coming soon, that the people needed to prepare the way for his coming by repenting, by removing the obstacles in their lives, preventing their hearts from being able to accept their Savior. John the Baptist's message still applies to us today as we prepare for his coming. This morning we lit the candle of love and we heard about Mary. In our gospel reading today, Luke reports that in the sixth month of Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel. Now this was the same Gabriel that had appeared to the prophet Nathan or sorry, prophet Daniel, more than 500 years later, who had also appeared to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, just a few months prior. God sent the angel Gabriel to bring an important message to Nazareth in a town in Galilee. Now, it's always worth us remembering that Nazareth wasn't a town of any major significance at this time. It was just a small agricultural settlement It was a long way from Jerusalem, a long way from anything central or important in regards to Jewish life or worship. Luke then tells us that in Nazareth, there was a virgin pledged to be married, betrothed already in a legally binding engagement to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Now, at this point, this young woman was also no one of any discernible significance. She was likely just a poor young girl living in an obscure little town in Galilee. This girl who would later come to be so revered by the church throughout history was a nobody. But the angel said to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. This word favored can be translated from the Greek word charis, which means grace, something that, though not necessarily deserved, is given anyway. And through this, we see that it wasn't because of who Mary was. It wasn't because she was immaculate. It wasn't because of anything that Mary had done that the angel had come to her. And she was humble enough to recognize this. And so Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Gabriel again reiterated that it wasn't because of who she was, but rather because of the favor, the grace of God, that she had been chosen. The angel then continued his message and shared God's incredible plan and the very important role that Mary would have in it. You will conceive a son, conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Jesus, taken from the Hebrew name Yeshua or Joshua, which means God saves. And Gabriel continued to share as Adeline shared at her Christmas concert, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants 
forever. His kingdom will never end. Gabriel told Mary that this baby, her son, was not just any baby. God had chosen, had called Mary to conceive and give birth to the fulfillment of his promise for which his people had been waiting. And again, we've spent this Advent reflecting on how God had already shared his plan with Abraham and promised that his descendant through the house of his grandson Jacob would be a blessing to the world. God had revealed more of his plan to King David and promised that his kingdom would last forever, as we heard in our reading today from Second Samuel. God had reminded and reassured his people that he had not forgotten this plan through the prophets, the last of whom was John the Baptist, through whom God informed his people that the time had come for this plan to unfold. And Gabriel here informs Mary that this promise will be fulfilled through the child she was being asked to conceive, through her son Jesus, who would also be the son of the Most High, the son of God, who would rule over God's kingdom forever. And what we're told next seems like a very human moment in this very supernatural account. Rather than being awestruck by the theological implications of what the angel had just revealed, Mary gets hung up on some of the practical logistics. It's almost as though she was like, I'm sorry, Mr. Angel, you lost me at you will conceive a son. How is this going to happen exactly? Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Since I am a virgin. However, she didn't ask, how will I know this for certain? Or will this really happen? Just how is this all going to work? She didn't doubt the angel's message. And it does appear that she understood right away that the angel wasn't talking about her having a son with her fiancé after they were married a little bit later, which is in itself a demonstration of Mary's great faith and understanding of the power of God. And so Gabriel didn't sternly admonish or punish her, like he had done to John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, when he had delivered similar news to him, but rather gracefully answered her question. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The angel informed Mary that the Holy Spirit, God, would perform this great miracle. Now here at Open Gate Church, we've been journeying together through the words of the creed, our shared statement of faith of what we believe. And not that long ago, we reflected on the affirmation in the creed that we believe that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And we recognize that the birth of Jesus to a virgin is a miracle. But it is one that, for some reason, many people find hard to believe. It's the one miracle they seem to have a problem with. And so it might help us to remember that we're reading about this in the report of historical events in the Gospel according to Luke. And it might also help us to remember that Luke was a medical doctor. And this means it would have been just as hard for him to believe in a virgin birth as it is for us. And yet he just reports it as simple fact. 
We also know that Luke was a painstaking researcher who based his Gospels on eyewitness accounts. And so it's highly likely that he had talked directly to Mary about the events he recorded in the first two chapters of his Gospel. And this means that what we read in Luke 1-2, to some of which we heard this morning, is more than likely Mary's story. Not a fictional invention, not a metaphor, allegory, or myth, but Mary's recollection and retelling of what happened to her. Of how she became pregnant without having any sexual relations with a man, of how Jesus was conceived not through a human father, but by the Holy Spirit, coming upon the Virgin Mary in power, an event unlike any other in history. And we observed a couple of months ago that because the child was not born through a human father, he did not inherit his father's sinful nature. Therefore, as the angel explained, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. A supernatural, miraculous event enabled by the Holy Spirit. And though it extends beyond our understanding, beyond our understanding of the laws of nature as we understand them, if we worship God as the creator of the universe, as the one who had the power to create everything, then we should have no doubts that the same God has the power to create a child in a virgin's womb. And Gabriel asserted this as he proclaimed to Mary, for nothing will be impossible with God. And upon receiving this message, Mary responded in a way that provides a perfect example to all of us of how we should respond when God calls us even if it is to do something that we find difficult to understand. The visit ends with Mary's demonstration of true discipleship, submitting to God's will, to God's plan. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, Some of you are probably familiar with a well-known song on the radio, especially at this time of year, Mary, Did You Know? Uh, Did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Did you know your baby boy would give sight to the blind, would calm the storm? And the answer to these questions is almost certainly no. Mary didn't know the full extent of God's plan. She didn't know how things were going to turn out. But the song also asks, Did you know that your baby boy is the Lord of all creation? Would one day rule the nations? And the answer to these questions is almost certainly yes. Because Gabriel told her. Gabriel told her he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary knew because Gabriel told her, and this is why her response to the angel's news was simply, Yes, Lord, I believe in you, I trust you, and I'll follow you whatever, wherever you want to take me. Even though doing so, even though accepting this great commission 
put Mary in a very precarious situation. God's favor, his blessing on Mary was that she would have the honor of being the mother of the promised Messiah. However, this blessing didn't automatically bring instant success or wealth or fame. Rather, it would actually lead to suffering. Her peers would ridicule her. Her fiancé would come very close to leaving her, which would likely have reduced her to a life of begging or prostitution. And her dear, beloved son would grow up to be rejected and murdered. God chose and called Mary for a difficult, life-altering, potentially scandalous, potentially life-threatening, but unfathomably important task. And she put her own desires, her own comforts, her social reputation, even her own safety at risk, and took an enormous step of faith to obey God's call, to obey his will, to submit to him and follow him along a very uncertain path towards a very uncertain future. And this is why Mary has been praised by countless generations. Her submission to God's plan was part of God's plan to bring about our salvation. I've mused before how in some ways Mary was Jesus' first disciple. She was the first one to accept the call to follow him in the building of his kingdom that will never end. And Mary is and remains a perfect example to us of the perfect attitude and posture a disciple of Jesus should take. She demonstrates to us that anticipating and preparing for the advent, the coming, the building of God's kingdom means faithfully accepting what he has in store for us. It means following God's will even if it is along an uncertain path towards an uncertain future, even if we know it might be difficult or life-altering, potentially scandalous, even potentially life-threatening. It means trusting God and in His power as the creator of the universe. Like Mary, we've all been called in our individual lives together as well as in our life together as the church to follow Jesus, to be a part of the building of his kingdom that will last forever. And there may be times when many of us feel like we don't really have much to offer, that we're not important enough. We maybe lack the ability, the experience, the education that we think it's necessary to serve God effectively. But Mary shows us that we shouldn't limit God's choices. He can use us if we just trust him. It doesn't matter if we feel significant. God has a plan for the world, for his people, for his church, and you have a part to play in it. God has a plan for you, for each one of you. As we reflected before, it's through the immaculate conception that we see the immaculate plan that God, the designer of all things, designed for us and for our salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you have a plan for us, for each one of us, that you are doing something wonderful in our midst, in our church, in each one of us. 
We thank you for the joy of gathering together to celebrate this. We thank you for the the ongoing commentary from young babies. And the joy that their little voices bring us. And we thank you that as we prepare to celebrate your birth, your coming into the world, that you have already come, that you are already with us. And so we pray, would you be with us? Would you continue to guide us towards your will? And Holy Spirit, would you give us the strength to follow you? We are the servants of the Lord. Let it be to us according to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.